0: And welcome to the Nevada Desert. In this week's edition of the Incredibly Strange Film Show, we'll be looking at the life and films of the amazing Ted B. Michaels. He's the man responsible for such classics as the Corpse Grinders, the Blood Orgy of the She-Devils, and the Astro Zombies. You might never have seen these films, and maybe you never will. But one thing's for certain: you won't forget Ted in a hurry. (laughs)
1: Hey everyone, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac in the Movies, where we look at everything from art house to grindhouse, mainstream to obscure, the forgotten, and the unforgettable. We are looking at the films of a truly unique individual, the one and only Ted V. Mickles. The films we're looking at today include The Girl in Gold Boots, The Corpse Grinders, Blood Orgy of the She-Devils. The Doll Squad, and the Corpse Grinders, too. Afterwards, I'll have a brief announcement regarding the change in the upload date for the show again. Before we look at the films, let's take a look at the man himself. Mickles was born on April 29th, 1929, in St. Paul, Minnesota. His father, a Croatian meat cutter, and his mother, a Romanian herbalist. As a child, he started out as an amateur photographer. As he grew up, he became more interested in acting. In the 1950s, he moved to Oregon and started his own film company. He first made educational documentaries and dramatic short films. He would even work on some Hollywood productions in Oregon, ranging from stunts, archery, and horseback riding. In 1963, he made his feature film directorial debut with Strike Me Deadly. From there, he made a long career for himself in exploitation with the occasional odd job. He was a cinematographer in the unfunny teen comedy Catalina Caper. He was an assistant director for Ed Wood Jr. in the film Orgy of the Dead. He would later be an executive producer for the Bob Clark zombie dark comedy, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. In 1968, he made the drama film, The Girl in Gold Boots. Let's dive into the movies. Spoilers ahead.
0: We got movies! On!
1: Buzz is on his way to Los Angeles when he stops at a diner on the highway. When he enters, he sees a girl, the waitress Michelle, dancing with the jukebox. He likes her moves and offers her to join him to Los Angeles and become a go-go dancer. Soon, another person enters the diner. A wandering loner, Critter, who is a free spirit on his way out west. He buys some candy bars, then leaves. After a spat with her drunken father, Michelle agrees to go with Buzz. "'Taking some money from the register. "'On the way, Critter rejoins Buzz and Michelle. "'They end up going to the same spot, "'the Haunted House Nightclub. "'Buzz's sister is the headlining dancer "'who reluctantly agrees to take on Michelle as an understudy. "'Critter takes on the lowly but honorable work "'as a janitor for the club,' Buzz gets mixed up in the drug racket run by the owner of the haunted house, Leo. Critter warns Michelle of the kind of people she's getting mixed up with. Yet, Michelle's star begins to rise and rise fast. Michelle naively thinks she's above the drug racket by being a dancer. Meanwhile, Buzz is given a proposition by a jailbird, Harry Blatts, to get in on a major drug score worth millions. The Girl in Gold Boots is a campy, hilariously cheesy drama that is against cast for Mickles as a director. Melodrama with a lot of overacting make this an anomaly in the filmography of Mickles, And it's also a Christmas movie? I mean, if you want the weirdest double bill for the holidays, uh, you can pair this film with Die Hard or maybe Santa sleigh with Bill Goldberg. This film stands out among the likes of Astro Zombies, the Corpse Grinders, and Blood Orgy of the She-Devils as being the least, I don't know, looking exploitation movie Mickels made, uh, maybe with the exception of the G-rated Heart of a Boy. This was one of my favorite episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000, merely for the edit flub that has Buzz literally appearing at a restaurant table out of nowhere. I was waiting for that moment to happen in this version of Tubi, Uh, yet the Tubi version shows Buzz walking to the table and sitting down. I was let down, to be honest. Uh, The use of the font from the Adam West Batman TV show doesn't help in taking this film seriously either. Mickles does his best to offer a low-budget film that aspires to be a legit counterculture film a la Easy Rider or the Wild Angels. And the film ends with Critter and Michelle conforming to the social mores and norms. Michelle giving up dancing, Critter going off to war instead of living life on the lam. Uh, Talk about mixed messaging. Uh, There are a few cast members that will reappear in the later films of this episode. Leslie McRae plays Michelle, the idealistic gal who dreams of stardom as a go-go dancer. She would go on to appear in Coffee opposite Pam Grier and Death Race 2000 for Roger Corman. Tom Pace would be a Mickles regular through the late 60s through the early 70s. Pace plays the rather weaselly Buzz. Outside of Mickles' films, he would appear on Adam-12, My Three Sons, and Mission Impossible. Jody Daniels took the role of Critter. His other credits don't ring as familiar, except for being a production manager for a Victor Borga TV special. Mark Huron was the mobster and owner of the Haunted House Club, Leo. Huron stands out because the immediate credit for Girl in Gold Boots was eight and a half. This man worked with a director who many consider to be one of the greatest of all time in Federico Fellini, and was featured in a film that many consider to be one of the greatest films ever made, thus being Eight and a Half, and yet five years later he was working with Ted V. Mickles. Strange World. This won't be the only time we see William Baghdad, who plays Leo's henchman Marty. To say Baghdad played a stereotype would be putting it mildly. Uh, Yet this guy was able to get a bit part in the biblical epic The Ten Commandments, he also appeared on The Monkees TV show and I Dream of Jeannie. The short career of Harry Lovejoy, Harry Blatts in the film, peaked uh, at the end with Girl in Gold Boots and The Corpse Grinders. The Girl in Gold Boots is still an enjoyable disaster for the hammy acting. It may like the action and violence of later Mickel's films, but I still find myself amused by what I was watching. Uh, the film is pretty much public domain and easy to find on many streaming services. Whish, <whistles> whish.
0: from the helpless victims already endured to their final peace. No money, no meat. Sure, Caleb. You'll get everything that's coming to you. Don't ever try and cheat me, Landau. The cops might be interested in knowing what you're doing with them bodies. What kind of mind takes from the grave the bone and flesh remains of the sacred dead? young what are you nuts that's a corpse now get going cats become savage killers when they eat human flesh well the sample wasn't really large enough to be definitive but uh, yeah it could be human you know somehow this is tied into it wish i knew what was on the other side of this door more spine tingling thrills more bone crushing terror than you have ever seen before in the Corpse Criters, never been suspense like this. Because there's never been anything like the Corpse Criters. But I know the answer is in that pet food factory. And I'm going down there. You'll witness blood-curdling horror. picture you've
1: ever seen. The Lotus Cat Food Company is a get-rich-quick scheme operated by Landau and Maltby. Instead of using quality ingredients, they use corpses dug up by the ghoulish Caleb. Things are going as expected until the house cats eating their brand of food start attacking their owners. The doctor and nurse couple of Dr. Howard Glass and Angie Robinson take it upon themselves to investigate the murders. This initiative starts after their own cat attacks Dr. Glass. But can they handle the horrifying revelation that awaits them at the Lotus Cat Food Company? The Corpse Grinders is peak cinema during the Grindhouse era and the peak film for director Ted V. Mickles. The film has some decent gore with the bloody sludge coming out of the corpse grinding machine. There's the titillation of women in lingerie, The bare-bones sets add to the low-budget charm. Oh, and the film is politically incorrect as hell. The depiction of deaf people and the mentally disabled is beyond cartoonish. Uh, The way they present sign language looks nothing like actual sign language. The character of Landau looks like he's giving himself fist bumps with it. The Corpse Grinders has a connection to another film, The Undertaker and His Pals. That film I touched on for my horror host show, Cinemax Petrifying Bijou. Uh, during one of the host segments, I mentioned that Ted V. Mickles actually bought the film and double-billed it with his own film, The Corpse Grinders. Mickles even casted a few actors from that film for parts in The Corpse Grinders. Ray Dennis and Charles Fox were put in bit roles. If you're curious to see that episode of Petrifying Bijou, I'll have it in the description box below. The Corpse Grinders was a huge step up from Mickles as a director, especially after seeing Girl in Gold Boots. Mickles shows just enough, or at least what his budget would allow him to show, and allows for your imagination to fill in the blanks, which is probably worse than what could ever be shown on screen. Arch Hall Sr. was the co-writer of this film. Arch Hall Sr. was responsible for producing his share of B-movies, often featuring his son, aspiring heartthrob Arch Hall Jr. Those films include The Choppers, Wild Guitar, Ega, and The Sadist. The film features a new cast of actors and actresses, with only the returning cast member from past films being Harry Lovejoy. Here, Lovejoy plays the neighbor of one of the victims of the cat attacks. Sean Kenny and Monica Kelly play the detective-medical couple Eyeing Lotus Cat Food. Kenny appeared on Star Trek as Commodore DePaul, a role he would reprise for a fan-funded film, Star Trek Captain Pike. Sanford Mitchell and J. Ryan Foster play the sneaky operators of Lois' cat food company, Landau and Multi. They're clearly enjoying playing the bad guys. Their interactions with the handicapped employees provides much unintentional comedy. The Corpse Grinders is one of the best exploitation films ever made. It captures a dark but humorous tone. This is Mickle's at his peak, a great cast, and it shows all you need to see on the gore front. Out of this batch of films, uh, this is definitely one to see.
0: Jessica, I am not here to frighten you. The ghost. is Mara, evil incarnate, high priestess to Satan, the queen of the black witches. Blood orgy of the she devil. their souls or not. She is too dangerous to share our secret. Blood orgy of the she-devils. The film that dares to probe the black depths of hell. Rise, Taruk! so mold it me. <laughs> world of ancient witchcraft and ceremonial magic is brought to you in all its stark terror and nightmarish horror
1: I don't like what I say
0: against indulging or experimenting in occultism or the psychic
1: sciences without professional advice. Blood Orgy of the She-Devils After the psychedelic opening credits for Blood Orgy of the She-Devils, we witness a cult ceremony. A man is being sacrificed as girls dance around him. He is murdered, then cooked. All of this committed under the watch of the sorceress Mara. We have a subplot of mobsters wanting an ambassador killed by the dark magic of Mara. She succeeds, but the mobsters fear her as a loose end. They try to take out Mara and her assistant, Taruk. They seem to be dead, but soon resurrect and take their brutal vengeance. Mark is a skeptic, but his girlfriend Lorraine is sensitive to the supernatural. They decide to sit in on Mara's ceremonies, which gradually has a strong influence on them. Fearing their lives, they consult with Dr. Helsford, an academic who has knowledge of the dark arts. Dr. Helsford is their hope to stop Mara, but will he stop Mara in time? Blood Orgy of the She Devils is a title that sounds like the epitome of exploitation, but this is a film where Mickles takes the subject matter on a serious note. All the seances and cult scenes are played straight. The flashback to The Witch in Custody of the Witchfinder is tough to watch when the accused witch gets a skewer stabbed into her back. The flashback of the stoning was brutal as well. We've gone from The Camp of the Corpse Grinders to The Grim of Mark of the Devil. The ending is a nihilistic one as well. In the wake of Night of the Living Dead, sad endings became popular. We think that Dr. Helsford and his colleagues will rescue the innocence of Mark and Lorraine, yet Mark is sacrificed and Lorraine falls under the control of Mara. Despite the shenanigans, this is Mickle's making a serious film that has the look of an exploitation film. Tom Pace, Leslie McRae, William Baghdad, and Victor Ize return from The Girl in Gold Boots. Pace as Mark is actually likable here compared to his performance as Buzz. Leslie McRae also gives a decent turn as Lorraine, Bagdad does his usual mugging for the camera. Victor is a, uh, may have you scratching your head. Uh, if he was in girl gold boots, then why didn't I mention him? Uh, he played a small part that really wasn't worth mentioning. Uh, he was the drunken father we meet in the beginning. He doesn't do a whole lot in the role and doesn't do anything impressive with it. But in Blood Orgy of the She-Devils, he's great as Dr. Helsford. He goes into detail in the history of witch-hunting and the innocents that were wrongfully prosecuted. He talks about how in the then-current times of the early 1970s, cults and witchcraft were a haven for those who felt disenfranchised or an outcast of society. Isay has probably the most impressive filmography of any actor under Mickles's direction. Over the Hill Gang, Billy Jack, Gunsmoke, The Waltons, Little House on the Prairie... Mara was the only role for actress Lila Zaborin. Her only other credit was the documentary *The Wild World of Ted V. Mickles*. *Blood Orgy of the She Devils* stands as one of Mickles' understated films. People don't talk about it uh, very much, and but this is definitely one well worth your time, and it may be my second favorite Mickles film.
0: Here comes the Doll Squad, America's newest and deadliest secret weapon. A rocket is sabotaged. This sets the scene for one of the greatest man-hunts in the history of the United States.
1: What's
0: the name of the island? Meet Sabrina Kincaid, the leader of the Doll Squad, played by redheaded beautiful Francine York. She recruits members of the Doll Squad from every class of society. Sabrina's code prefix is... No, oh oh 38, 24, 35. You're just still there. No, I couldn't take you with me if I couldn't trust you, could I? Of course not. Because the minute you turned your back, I'd kill you. A madman, Eamon O'Reilly, brilliantly portrayed by Michael and you. Sarah, plots the overthrow of the entire world. Damn it, Maria! jealousy drives me insane! Squad is tougher. Their destructive tactics range from the thrusting of a 45, the deadly blade of a dagger, the deadly spit from a lethal silencer, or their slashing hands, bloody kung fu, judo. The Dull Squad wrote the book. Spelling death and devastation to those who stand in their way or oppose their will. They work and kill for Uncle Sam. excitement, for thrills that mount and overwhelm you, for 101 breathtaking minutes that explode on the motion of screen in a staggering, overpowering spectacle. Don't miss The Doll Squad, total entertainment for all ages. Be sure to see the Ted V. Michaels film production of The Doll Squad.
1: The Dull Squad opens with a space launch being sabotaged. The astronauts on board killed in the explosion. Shortly before the detonation, a senator receives an ominous warning. To investigate, the senator calls upon Sabrina Kincaid, a top government agent. She identifies the voice on the warning as Amon O'Reilly, a known terrorist and drug manufacturer. Sabrina is assigned to call upon agents of the Dull Squad. Sabrina is tailed as she recruits two agents, a scientist and a martial arts expert. Both are swiftly taken out by henchmen of O'Reilly. Sabrina herself is nearly killed until saved by fellow CIA agent Connolly. She takes more caution in notifying the other recruits, an electronics technician, an explosives expert, a psychiatrist who specializes in interrogation, and others. Now they take the fight to O'Reilly. The Dull Squad is the Fox Force 5 movie we all imagined. Tough, sexy girls taking out goons in violent fashion. Yet, this film has some stakes that escalate after the space shuttle sabotage. This is not just pretty girls taking down some generic henchmen with little effort. These girls aren't Rays or Captain Marvels. This team suffers some serious casualties and faces adversity. I was not expecting the scientists and the martial arts expert to be killed off as bloody and as early in the film as they were. Uh, the pyrotechnics, uh, for a lack of a better term, are hilarious. Uh, they are clearly stock explosion inserts edited into the scene. One of the gimmicks is a liquid that can cause explosions when ingested. And seeing the guards explode, uh not in a gory way, but in like a Warner Brothers cartoon is just one of the best things you'll ever see. Mickles does a competent job capturing the action. He can stage decent gunfights and there's not a lot of confusion to where anyone is at a given time. William Baghdad returns as one of the main henchmen for the batty O'Reilly. Michael and Sara plays O'Reilly with a ladies' man charm. Imagine if Cary Grant ever played a villain. Uh, That's how good Ansara is. I know Ansara best as the voice of Mr. Freeze for Batman the Animated Series, and he helped set the standard for that character, a feat that should not be overlooked. Uh, The biggest standout among the women of the Doll Squad would be the curvaceous Tura Satana, Satana was an icon of exploitation, thanks to Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, under the director, Russ Meyer, with a little help decades later from White Zombie.
0: I never try anything. I just do it. Want to try me?
1: I've seen reviews put this film down, and The Doll Squad is not anywhere near as bad as people made it out to be. The Dell Squad is another film that people may be sleeping on because of some of the unfavorable opinions. This is another Mickles film. Viewers could be surprised by how good it actually is. Corpse Grinders 2 opens with an updated take on the original intro of the Corpse Grinders. The grinding machine looks current for 2000. Similar lighting, cinematography, editing, but then we get a Star Wars exposition crawl. The cat worshippers of the planet Seta are under attack by the dog people of their rival, rival planet. Due to shortage of food and water, they must find another planet to inhabit. They choose Earth. Meanwhile, on Earth, the nephews of Landau and Maltby look to restart the Lotus Cat Food Company. They hire the homeless and the poor instead of the disabled. Soon, the cats start to attack their owners again. Then we are introduced to another, Dr. Glass, Angie, Caleb, and Cleo. The film essentially retreads on some of the same plot points, but includes the sci-fi subplot of the Sita cat worshippers. Good lord, this movie is horrible. Oh, God. Uh, The original was a classic that relied on low-budget charm and simplicity. Uh, Now we have basic CGI, blue screen, dog masks. The movie looks like it was shot on VHS. The alien subplot felt so out of place. Uh, I would have settled for just a plot point rehash of the original, but instead we got whatever this decades later sequel is. This is what scares me of the still in production sequel to The Forbidden Zone from Richard Elfman. I love The Forbidden Zone. I'm not going to go into much detail because I'm saving that one for later. But Richard Elfman has been working on a Forbidden Zone sequel for a long, long time. And uh, it was actually featured on the TV show Monster Man. And what has me worried is the use of blue screen and digital effects the same low-budget-looking effects that contributed to the ruin of the Corpse Grinders too. What made Forbidden Zone and Corpse Grinders special were the use of practical effects. The set design of Corpse Grinders was mostly darkness with color lights accenting the props and adding a palpable mood. The Forbidden Zone sets were an homage to German expressionism akin to Dr. Caligari and Nosferatu and Betty Boop cartoons of Fleischer Studios. They made those films work. I know I consider this to be one of the worst movies I've ever seen, but I don't know if I'm ready yet to say it. This is the worst I've ever seen. I tapped out at an hour and 15 minutes. One, because that's all I could take of the film at that point. And two, because that was the original running time of the Corpse Grinders. And that's where the movie should have ended. I got farther into this movie than I did Human Centipede 3, so maybe uh, Corpse Grinders 2 may be the second worst movie I've ever seen with Human Centipede 3, still the worst. Uh, I think I may have to do an updated worst movies list because Corpse Grinders 2 has a shot to the near top, and that alarms me. This was a fall from grace for mickles I've seen my share from other directors. Uh, Argento films like Jello or Mother of Tears. Romero with Survival of the Dead. Carpenter's remake of Village of the Damned. Lucio Fulci's Zombie 3, which even he himself admitted was more Bruno Mattei's film than his. I mean, Mr. Mikkels, uh, God bless your soul. I know you love filmmaking and you are passionate about it but you probably should have stopped better than the 1980s. You left your mark with some great exploitation films, but Corpse Grinders 2 stands as an eyesore. And that wraps up this look at select films uh, from Ted V. Mickles. Thanks for listening. Next time, it will be our yearly Halloween episode uh, for Mac in the Movies. Not the Halloween franchise, but a look at a premiere horror icon. Uh, The first episode we did was on Goblin, uh, followed by Universal's Invisible Man series the next year. This year, it will be Dario Argento, finally tackling this uh, horror legend of Italian cinema. We'll be looking at Deep Red, Suspiria, Tenebre, and Sleepless. Plus, I'll have another little bonus goodie that'll be added to that episode. Uh, I'm going to keep that a surprise until the episode drops. Here's also the update. Episodes will now drop on Fridays, starting October 30th. The day before Halloween, so hey, not bad. Uh, That is when the Argento episode will drop, and Fridays will be when I upload episodes for the time being. If you enjoyed this content and would like to see the program grow... Feel free to offer a one-time donation via PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App. For $1.99 a month, you can join my Subscribestar to help guide the creative direction of the show. I'm easy to find on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I have my BitChute channel as well. All of that in the description box below. Until next time, this is Mackenzie Lambert from Mac in the Movies. Take care and stay safe. (laughs)